to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing allyship slash accomplicing, uh, accountability, white fragility, and solidarity. That's a lot of stuff, but in general, we had wanted to do an episode about what it meant to be accountable as podcast hosts, as white people, as you know, people with some semblance of power in, in the world um, and in general. And then, of course, this week, uh, two more uh, black men were murdered by the police. And we wanted to talk about what it meant to be a white ally in um, the Black Lives Matter movement and in response to these uh, these deaths in general. Um, but first, Mel, before we jump into all that, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Everywhere. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. We even have a mixtape on Spotify, the Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape, where we feature the songs that we intro and outro on this podcast. And if you have a little extra money and want to support feminist labor, you can support us via our website, feministkilljoyspodcast.com, or we have a Patreon account where you can become a monthly donator. And as always, you can email us because I'm stuck in 2004 and love email. So you can check us out at fkj.phd at gmail.com. And thanks to everybody who has contacted us about our show. It's been great to communicate with you all. The end. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We um we met our goal in terms of Facebook subscribers. We have well over four hundred, so that's Woo! um that was our June goal. So we can set new goals at some point. But um but apparently we we did not meet our um, iTunes review goal. But apparently there's been quite a, quite a few people. But it's not for it's not because people don't want to. There's actually been quite a few people that have reached out to me um that that haven't that I it just doesn't it doesn't work like they try to leave a review and it doesn't work so I'm pretty sure so at first I thought it was a Canada issue because our amazing awesome listener Sophie uh tried to leave a review and I was like oh maybe it's maybe it's because you're in Canada <laughs> I just like blamed, <laughs> I just blamed Canada um sorry <laughs> sorry um sorry <laughs> oh, that was me I'm sorry uh <laughs> But then, um, but no, but we have some, some folks in the U.S. who have not been able to leave reviews either. So I don't know what the deal is, but um, thank you for trying and maybe, maybe keep trying. Um, ask the internet maybe, or we can, we can investigate that and post about it or something. But anyway, that's that. So no new reviews to read. But um, what's, how's your week been other than the obvious awfulness of the week? Uh, just the 
uh, otherness awfulness of the week, I guess, really. Because I'm in Minneapolis where a lot of the action is taking place with protests and stuff. So that's been consuming. But in good news, my partner came home from uh, Central America. So he's been around. Oh, my God. I saw Blink-182. Oh, yeah. You know, we so listeners, Mel and I chatted yesterday just about other stuff non-show stuff but i can't believe i forgot to like actually ask about how the show was and also like i'm much more of an alkaline trio fan so like i'm also very excited to hear about alkaline trio so how was it okay matt skiba is not as attractive when he's <laughs> sweating in an arena yeah and he looks deranged when he sings <laughs> he does a little bit yeah <laughs> oh, so that was disappointing he also was wearing a cubs hat Mm, in Milwaukee, which is like not okay. No. Or no, maybe it was a Bears. I don't know. Anyways, it was a Chicago hat, which you can't do. Yeah. But then like Mark also didn't like say anything about it. It would have been yeah. like a prime space for humor. Right. Which leads me to my second point of the review, <laughs> which is like it pretty the show like kind of sucked. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Like it's they okay. They just came out with a new album, and me and my friend assumed that they would just play all new stuff because right. that's the stuff that Skiba wrote with them. Yeah. They did, like, a best hits of Blink-182. Oh, yeah? Which I just, like, was not into. Like, Oh, okay. Because... I bet most people preferred that, though, honestly. I'm sure, and that's why they're doing it. But, mm. like, I was really excited about the new stuff that Skiba wrote with them, and so I yeah. wanted to hear him perform it. I didn't want... It's weird to hear him perform stuff songs that like he didn't write and had a different singer you know and it was just like they chose i thought they would choose songs that maybe didn't feature tom the former member as much but no that didn't make a difference they chose Mm. very tom heavy songs and so i'm wondering if there's some kind of like f you going on there right Oh, I just wasn't into it. It just, yeah. it was just a bummer. And it was just like, they didn't do much for an arena show. I've seen them in the past, like with fireworks and yeah. Oh, the other bummer, Travis, the drummer, who's usually very dreamy. He had a goatee, Ew. like a straight up, like Sean yeah. Bauer in the jail system being a prison guard goatee. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, that was um that was quite a reference you made. Um but uh yes. <laughs> like goatees um, are good for going undercover, not right purposefully to wear at a punk rock show. Anyway, so I was just very That's real. I wanna take a moment to note if any of our listeners have a goatee, do you? But I agree that I probably would have thought yeah, because usually I th- I think um that Travis is yeah, quite dreamy and that would He's not anymore. So I was like, okay, Steve looks deranged. (laughs) Mark, I'm not into. I'll just watch Travis. No, Travis (laughs) is like inverting my vagina right now. So (laughs) thanks a lot. Thank you for that review. I think you should write for Pitchfork and do reviews exactly like that. Um, Anyway. uh, What's up with you? That's my uh, review. I'm I'm okay other than the week. It's been Mm -hmm. been hard. Um, I'm in Ann Arbor and I don't have like my activist community. I haven't had, I really haven't had an activist community since Minneapolis really. So I'm feeling a little disconnected from things. Um, and just sort of, you know, I have friends here that give a shit, but there, I'm not like part of a community of, you know, organ. I'm not like in the, I haven't been in the streets, which is like where I would have been probably had I been in Minneapolis. 
Um, so I'm feeling a little disconnected, feeling sad, um, all those things. Uh, I did the reason I wasn't here last week, and you had that awesome show with Elena about Brexit, which was great. Thank you for that. Um, is that I was in New Orleans on a short trip that we got invited along to with some friends, um, and it was very, very hot, but very awesome. I really like New Orleans. So it was nice, but I'm back trying to get work done, teaching yoga, doing yoga, and just trying to just, you know, cope with the world, which... Oh, my God. Sorry. That's a good transition to cope with the world. Moving on. Um, To cope with the world, I downloaded Pokemon Go, and it finally, like, started up on my phone. It's... What? Did you just judge me? No. No. I said, oh, it finally loaded. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so I guess... Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I actually don't totally get Pokemon Go. I don't either, but I just thought as a media teacher I should download it and try it out. And there's an interesting urban, like, you have to go outside and walk around thing, so. Yeah, I actually saw a headline that was like, this isn't safe for black men to do. And it was like, yeah, it's probably real. Like, if you have to, like. Walk around outside by yourself and look weird doing it, too. Like, I guess you can tell the people who are playing Pokemon. Right. The way that they're walking. So I'm just fascinated by it. So anyways, the servers are, like. Probably, there's so many people playing it now that they're having problems. So anyways, it took a yeah. while. It finally yeah. loaded on my phone. Well, so people who play Pokemon will recognize that music. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that is uh, our impromptu transition music from our second <laughs> to... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, as, as has been the case with a lot of our, like, heavier episodes, like, our Who's Ruining the Dinner Party is also kind of the topic of the episode. So, um, Who's Ruining the Dinner Party this week? Uh, it's not us for saying Black Lives Matter. It's all the people who are saying things, anything other than that, really. People who are saying yep. All Lives Matter. People who are saying uh, shutting down a freeway doesn't do anything. Mel, do you want to sort of explain that? in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Well, last night we're recording this on a Sunday. So Saturday night there was um, a big freeway shutdown again, which I'm so proud my brother went to, which is just amazing. Shout out to him. He doesn't listen to this thing. But um, yeah, so he was there. He's not he's not um, one to go to these protests. And so I just think it's super wild that like the first one he goes to is like a big is like more intense than ones that i've ever gone to you know Mm -hmm. like don't get me wrong i've been on the freeway walking but as like (laughs) unfortunately is the case here anyway so there's always the a ton of people that are like shutting down the freeway doesn't do anything and if martin luther king jr were here he'd be very mad at you for being (laughs) on the freeway (laughs) Meanwhile, everybody, uh, like all these people forget that he was a super radical. Right. Actually shut down freeways. Who shut down freeways, multiple right. streets and caused lots of chaos. But, you know, we remember him as right. white Americans like to remember him. So right. anyways. Yep. Yeah. So if only yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. were here, he'd, he'd, really <laughs> he'd get keep us, them in line. Yeah, he'd really keep us in line. <laughs> He must be uh, so yeah. ashamed of what we're doing. Yeah. So anyways, those people suck. Yeah, there is a whole lot. Yeah, and I mean, I feel, you know, in my circle, I don't see a ton of those voices. But even just like the subtle, 
just the subtle things that people say, even like the the seemingly progressive folks that are still saying like just like there's all there's there's just this like quiet little but it's like black lives matter but we can't be violent but we can't do that and it's like okay you're still doing a but and it's mm-hmm. just like yeah so those folks are the ones running the dinner party this week which brings us to our main topic which is um i sort of just want to get out of the way of like why we i mean as as activists like melody and i i think think about allyship and what it means to be in solidarity with different groups like all the time but I had wanted to sort of start um as as part of being an ally is is being accountable when you fuck up and I had wanted to maybe start a a segment on the show as often as we needed to um about things that we fucked up on the show because that's been um that's happened and we get feedback and we get feedback from our listeners and and so I wanted to like that's what sort of inspired me. I was like, oh, we can, we should talk about being accountable and we should talk about when we fucked up. And so I just really quick want to give like some examples of how we fucked up. So last two episodes ago when we were doing the survey and um, we were, I, I, one of the questions was, what's your favorite witch practice? And I said smudging. Um, apparently smudging is not a witch practice. It's actually a native practice. And so that was fucked up of me to erase native history. And I got called out on that. And am you know happy to acknowledge that that was like an ignorant thing for me to say and I want to own that and so that's that um we also talked about Michael Jackson on that episode and Melody mentioned this last week but um one of my colleagues studies Michael Jackson and was like you guys can't just like don't just say like oh yeah we have a complex feeling about him but he watched child you know he watched child porn and assaulted children and and she was like, you're, that's like a completely, you're like believing the media instead of like getting more of the facts. And so we just sort of, um, she gave us like a really solid case that, that, that Michael Jackson, those claims against him were actually quite unfounded. Um, so things like that, we felt like we wanted to be accountable about, um, Outside of the context of the show, accountability is also like a really important process as an ally in general, um, because generally when you're in a position of power, you don't know what it's like to have the life of the marginalized person that you're trying to be like in solidarity with. So it's really important to listen to people when they tell you you fuck up and be like, I believe you and I fucked up and I'm going to say that and I'm going to fix it. So... That's sort of like the the background and how I wanted to tie our, our role as podcasters into this. But Mel, I just threw around these terms ally and solidarity. Do you want to, like, how would you define what it means to be an ally? Well, um, I think the, that's a good question. I think the, the way that people see being an ally, let's just put it in the context of today with anti-racist work, is just being supportive of the work that other people are doing um, and maybe not saying all or Black Lives Matter, but, you know, they leave the but, you know, so they, they feel like they're just being supportive, I think, is what an ally is kind of understood as in the everyday. Mm-hmm. But then you found this really great definition, which I'll just quote, um, 
that says those who possess a real and authentic desire to be anti-racist partners to people of color. And I think partners is an interesting word. Um, I think that's the, that's the desire of what an ally is. But I think in this movement right now, there's been a lot of discussion about if you're actually being an ally or a partner, you know, a partner in these, in this situation. Um, and, and what kind of work do we as white people need to be doing um, to be true allies? And what does that look like? And I know I, I want to talk about this later, but underlying all of my comments today is this understanding that like people are white people are very much like struggling as like on what to do to be an ally you know they're like floundering in the water like i'm trying to be a partner but i don't know and so anyways i just wanted to put that out there too yeah totally and i'll this is like a part of the show where i'll kind of make a note that like obviously melody and i are white people we have given that caveat a lot um and that this episode will probably be like white people trying to help each other and like talk through and process like our role as white people. And so this episode, you know, might be, you know, not of interest to like our people of color listeners, but like that this might be one of those moments where white people can try to teach other white people, which is something that a lot of people of color that um, I've read and heard and listened to um, say is like an important job for us. So I'll just sort of make that note too, that this might be a lot of kind of like white people talking, um, obviously. Uh, so yeah, so I think I want to go back to that idea of the idea of being a partner as well, because another way that ally sort of gets taken up is this idea that like, oh, we'll help these people, we'll help mm-hmm. these poor, oppressed, marginalized people. And helping people is not is not what like authentic or good allyship or what in you know I having like sort of labor movement background would call like solidarity like that's not there's a difference between trying to help people and trying to be in solidarity with people's struggle and if you're just trying to help people it it maintains a power dynamic that you know it says like oh well I as a white person can help the people of color or like rich people this is like the definition of like philanthropy it's like rich people are like oh let me let me give money to those poor people instead of being like oh maybe let me dismantle a system an economic system that enables me to have billions of dollars and some people to have like almost like zero dollars um so that feels like a really important difference between you know, sort of mainstream understandings of what it means to support a group and what it means to be an actual ally or as um, uh, a a number of people have started writing about uh, instead of talking about being an ally, talking about being an accomplice, which is sort of an even more intense word than partner. And um, there was an article written that was published on indigenousaction.org uh, that was talking about abolishing the ally industrial complex, which mm. um, they related very much to the work that nonprofits do, mm-hmm. um, and instead to actually be an accomplice. And, um, you know, in that sense, that would mean that allies are actually putting their bodies on the line in ways that position them in a similar grounds as possible to the people they're being they're standing in solidarity with so 
in the case of a Black Lives Matter protest, if you're a white person and you go to that, I've seen some calls for white people to be um, marshals, which are the folks that sort of stand on the sidelines and like keep, you know, the sort of group together. But they're also sort of the, the bodies that are next to the police and actually a literal human shield in front right. of black protesters, NPOC protesters. They did that yesterday. So, yeah. yeah, which is literally putting your body in front of a cop and a gun and saying, I know I'm less likely as a white person to get shot. So I'm going to like mm-hmm. literally use my body to, to be in solidarity, to be an accomplice in this, in this action. Um, so that's like, that's an example. Um, what do you, what do you think about that, that move to accomplish it? What does that sound like to you? Do you think? I mean, I think it sounds uh, like a lot more work for white people. And I think it's where a lot of people are at now. But again, like, I think we're used to the white safe, like when you were talking earlier about allyship, the thing that I, I was thinking about is like being a white savior. And that's a very familiar role that, that we feel like we have, that we see perpetuated in, in films, especially um, of like the white people coming to adopt the black babies and saving mm-hmm. the world. And so that is a role that like we've seen um, modeled to us, but obviously that's not going anywhere and we're getting um, pushback from it. And so, yeah, being an accomplice is more like kind of where I identify, but it is like a lot more work. Um, and it requires you to be a lot more, I think, in, involved in the movement. It's very hard to just like show up and be an accomplice. I think on day one, like you have to know people, organizers, you know, if we're talking real stuff here, you know, or you need to be involved in very specific organizations that do work. Um, or I think like, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to disagree with what I just said though. I think, you know, being in support of Black Lives Matter is one thing, being an ally and supporting them and not getting in their way and not trash talking the tactics. But I think an accomplice move would be something like, you know, if you hear somebody say something racist out in public, which I live in a bubble, so it's very hard for me to, you know, Mm -hmm. to actually like step up and say something, you know, Mm -hmm. to have these very hard conversations with your, your white people and in a time where people are, I'm getting a lot of messages because I'm I've been down at the protest a lot. So I have people from all over messaging me, asking me what they can do, and they want to send money. You know, yeah. it's like that's the white person thing to do. It's like we have money, we have resources, right? We get that now. Right. Okay. Have all my money. Have all the water I can buy. Right. But the movement doesn't need that. Right. And so, like, the answer really is go talk to your friend. To go talk to your white people in your spaces. I think that's the answer um, in terms of being an accomplice or like for some people, it means writing into your legislators, like demanding and using very strong language, like speak up right now. I haven't heard you make a statement about Philando Castile. Like, right. When are you going to do that? You know? Right. And that's hard work. So it's like deciding to take that next step to do on very uncomfortable work. But then the, the, um, I think the thing that we're fearful of and something that some things that maybe we still deal with is that white fragility thing that Rachel just brought up or like that was part of our title of what we were talking about today. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, Rachel, you can add on to this definition, but like be like we, so, okay. So we're going to be accomplices, but then we have this white fragility of like being very scared to speak up or thinking that we're going to say something wrong 
or shit we have to deal with our race racism you know like when rachel was talking about getting called out for smudging um she didn't like break down and be like oh my god i'm so embarrassed like we're never doing this podcast again i'm never gonna talk about this kind of stuff um or when we got called out for the michael jackson stuff i said to rachel like oh my god this is amazing like i'm so glad i have this information and it was a very like positive um let's keep moving kind of response not oh my god i'm so embarrassed and i'm so stupid and forget it you know forget it i can't i can't do this work you know right which is what you know activists sometimes kind of have to fight and also when you're talking with people who aren't really involved in the movement they just get so defensive Exactly. That's that's what I would say that there's like two tiers of what we're talking about. So there's like white fragility of activists. We're just like fucking scared of shit that we're like going to fuck something up and like not be the best accomplice we can be and like all that shit. But then there's the more common and like widespread white fragility, which is this defensiveness that I think you're you're referencing now, which is I'm not racist. Like, that's just like, you know, this like knee jerk reaction that if anybody says anything critical to you about how you are complicit in a white supremacist system, you know, the response is, but I'm not racist. Like, don't say that. Like, just this like, so, so defensive about not being a racist person that you refuse to see how you are complicit in white supremacy, how legacies of domination and oppression and violence against people of color is still real just because you're not a racist you don't think you're a racist person doesn't mean those things aren't real um and so i think that's like the 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 more common thing because there are more more people who are not activists than are um but that makes those conversations that we're supposed to be having as as allies slash accomplices even harder, right? Because if you're if you're talking to white people, if one of our jobs as as accomplices is to basically organize and educate and you know make other white people less racist, then we have to deal with that those com- those hard conversations that usually involve that white fragility response. Yeah. And I think to Another big point I wanted to make about all of this is the tone that we take when we talk with these people. Um, This is something I've been dealing with as an activist or just kind of thinking through for the last couple months. Um, And it's it's about the tone, both activists talking to other activists and, you know, or accomplices talking to people who are interested, maybe allies, you know, people who are interested in learning or are students, you know, we're both very lucky to be given you know, rooms full of white people, obviously, you know, not all white people, but, um, I get speaking for myself, I get a ton of white people that I get to educate every semester. And so I'm lucky that that's like one of my things that I can do. But, um, I've been really thinking about and watching how people talk to one another. And I think one issue that we have right now, and I'm speaking just about white people talking to white people because people of color have, Um, pain and anger and hurt that I can never, that I won't ever be able to tap into. It's just, I don't live in that world, you know? And so their reactions um, are different. Um, But in terms of white people talking to white people, this like tone of like, if you're not doing X right now, 
then you are not an accomplice. Or if you're not doing this, you're not an ally. And I think we have to be really careful with how we talk to one another because that really can, even though white fragility is an issue and we wish it didn't exist, it still does freeze people up. And so yeah. we, we have to be very careful in, we're angry, we're frustrated with white people because they're not doing enough work. And then that tone comes out and then people get defensive and then they, they just keep shutting down. And I think we need to just find a better way to talk to each other about this stuff and lose the, lose the higher than thou tone, lose the, you know, patronizing tone sometimes, the lecturing, like, yeah, I think it's this like calling, you know, calling people in. So earlier, right. Yeah. You want to explain that difference? Yeah, like, so, yeah, yeah, like, so within this movement, there's been, it's been interesting to watch the rhetoric kind of shift on how white people are supposed to be educating themselves or others. And so for a while, it was like, call people out, call people out on their racism, black, brown, any kind of people call them out on their shit, you know. But then it was like, okay, that's why don't we try this new tactic of calling people in? So what I tend to do is I tend to call people out. And then if you're racist, I just don't talk to you. Like I put something up on social media today. It's like, well, I don't see haters, but if I did, this is what I would tell them. You know, there's this, there's this (laughs) argument that you should call people in to really have those people in your social media networks. Like the people that just don't get it and say, nothing happens on the freeway. You're ruining somebody's, truck to work or something to actually call those people in and talk to them about it instead of just dismissing them as racist. Um, right. Which at school I'm good at. I don't, I don't dismiss right. my students. I call them in a lot, but in terms of social media, I've created a, a nice bubble for myself. So uh, calling people in and having those conversations, but even in calling in people, people can be pretty freaking rude. And, um, but I don't know. What do you think about that, Rachel, though? I mean, this is like kind of a new thing that I've been thinking about. And we haven't really talked about it um, in terms of like tone and like how to, how to really make people accountable. Yeah. I mean, well, again, that's two. That's sort of like two different layers. So the first your yeah. first sort of thought was about, you know, when like white activists are telling other white activists to show up in particular ways yeah. and shaming them, them, basically. And to that, my response is like, uh, not so I think my response is that struggle happens in like multiple arenas and not everybody is capable of dropping everything to get to last minute protests and like in my and and I felt really righteous about it in my youth because I was able to do that. Like, it was not a big deal if I skipped class to go to a protest in the middle of the day. Like, because, like, you know, no business as usual. Fuck it. I'm there. Mm -hmm. And my life just looks different now. And there's a million reasons that people with disabilities or people with kids or people, you know, there's so many reasons why people can't show up in those specific ways. And that it's really to suggest that you know, if one person doesn't show up to a, you know, to a particular protest that, you know, they're ruining the movement is like really misguided because movements, you know, spontaneous protests are like, I mean, I'm not saying those things aren't organized. There's organization that goes into it, of course, but organize the idea of organizing versus activism, let's say like Mm -hmm. that's a form of activism, but organizing for 
an actual like social movement requires like, like I said, like levels of struggle in multiple arenas. So like the fact that, you know, Melody, you and I, like we have basically captive white audiences, you know, nine months of the year where we get to do our work of trying to like teach about the reality of white supremacy and, you know, try to help people unlearn the racism that they've been ingrained with. And so, you know, it's, so I think that shaming stuff is like, is just, it's, it's just misguided and it's, and it's not helpful. Um, but I understand the, the feeling of like, you need to be here. This is important. Like I remember feeling like that. And to an extent I still do. We, we talked, um, yesterday about this, like, I, I just feel like I have activist FOMO a lot, like fear of missing out on activist things that I can't be at. And just realizing that, that's about me and not about the movement because the movement is still going to happen if like my body isn't there, but sometimes it feels like it won't, you know? So that's, I guess my response to that first part that you were asking. And then the second, Oh, can I just add one thing to your point? I forgot to mention too, that um, part of the shame and guilt, I'm glad that you brought up the word shame and guilt um, because for me, those are really triggering emotions in my life. And I'm not the only one that feels that way. And so we have to be careful in that regard too, in terms of like mental health, like outside of activism, like if people guilt trip me or try to shame me, I like, I shut down, you know? And so there's people out there and I think activists, I mean, I don't want to get into like my background uh, as to why I have these issues, but I know that like, um, I'm not the only activist that has that kind of reaction. And so we just have to watch out for each other. And I did have a good, um, I did have a good experience where I was just kind of experimenting with calling out other white people about their tone. And I was like, Hey, you know what? Like when you said it that way, when you like demanded that people come down to this one action, it made me feel really guilty. And it made me, it didn't make me feel good about doing anything. Like, could you, could we work on a different tone? And they actually tried a different tone in their next call out. And it just felt, it was better. It was good. And it it was nice to have like a very productive dialogue in that way. And so it's possible. I think we just got to talk about it. Like if, um, and if you're listening and you're an ally or an accomplice or an activist and you feel that way too, it's like, it's okay. Like that you feel guilty or you have this fear of missing out. Um, and you got to kind of sit through and think about like, where is this discomfort coming from? Is it because the tone people are taking Or are you feeling, and that's real, and so you should talk to them about it. Or is it, like, the guilt and shame of fear of missing out, which I deal with all the time, too. And that's different. Like, I felt guilty for not being on the frickin' freeway, you know? But, like you said, the movement continues. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. um, And it is, it's it's a self-seeking thing sometimes, but that's, um, that really pales in comparison to the other reasons why we do this work. Right, right, of course, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's and that's that is a very heartening story to hear. Like activists communicating with each other and something something actually being productive yeah. and generative out of that. Um, and remind so. And then the second thing was more about like the wider audiences. Remind me what you were asking about that or thinking through with that. Um, wow, that was like ten minutes ago. That was ten minutes ago. I know. Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> it was just more about the just the tone of talking to people. Um, and like calling people in and the way that yeah, we oh, call right. people yeah. in, like, are we going to be rude and, and aggressive with them or right. are we going to have some gentler conversations? And I think, right. God, because this, unfortunately, um, um, 
I don't want to say that the movement hasn't changed the dynamics in this country, but I mean, these last two killings were just like, like they're getting, they're horrible, you know? And so like these conversations keep happening now. Right. And so it's like, okay, maybe since we have all this time now, since we have to keep talking to our white people about this stuff, um, could we maybe try a different tone and see how that Mm -hmm. goes, you know? Right. And I think, yeah. 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 And I think, uh, I think it's also great that right up front, you, you talked about like, none of this is talking about the tone of that black people are taking right now. Cause like they have every right to not be polite or call in and like all this shit. Oh yeah. And that, that is, that that's, so I'm just reiterating that great point that you made that that's part of our job is to teach white people that it's okay that black people aren't talking to you the way you wish they want, they would talk to you. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Um, so, so yeah, so that's one of the conversations I have too. And yeah, yeah, this just reminds me of like, um, I tend, I, I have not done a lot of Facebook thread debating, but I know that is kind of a potentially interesting and useful means of being an ally is to have this conversation. Yeah. And I haven't done a ton of it. I have stopped filtering my Facebook feed. I have a couple people on restricted access, but for the most part, I stopped like filtering my posts. So mm. basically everybody sees all my shit now, which mm. was one decision I made to like try to be an accomplice. I was like, I don't care if this ice makes some of you feel isolated or like whatever, like I'm just going to do that. Um, so so I post a lot of shit, but I don't necessarily engage in the dialogue that might come after. Um, but I, but I've been like, I've, I've been asked advice about how to respond to some of those threads. And there are different approaches you can, I mean, in a, a certain, you know, at a certain point there, there's, there can be teaching. And that's again, part of the onus that we should take on as white people. Like, here's a bunch of books you should read that like here, you know, here's, here's how you should rethink this. Here are some ways and you can just do it very educationally. But yeah, at a certain point, um, like I have one friend who had, was just getting really into it with, you know, and oftentimes these things happen where you post on somebody else's and then this person you don't even know jumps in and tries to have a fight with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, my friend was just like, you know, all capital letters, we literally enslaved these people and just like couldn't anymore. And, you know, so there gets to a certain point where you're just like, I fucking can't. Yeah. And like, and that's fine if you need to like back away from, like severe racism and ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's could be effective to as long as possible, like try to engage in, if you feel moved to do it, to try to engage in some of those Facebook conversations, social media conversations as an, edu- as an educator. Um, you know, I think, yeah. So, so I guess, I guess I do think that uh, it's okay to ask white folks to be a little more, polite and I would never say again I would never say that about other demographics and you know in in the same way that I was like there were a lot of very like like sort of angry charged queer Latinx voices Mm -hmm. that after Orlando that it was like it's not their job to 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 try to stick into some sort of like level of decorum that meets everybody else's you know um meter of acceptability or whatever. Um, so, and, and in both those cases, you know, if you're not the most impacted group, 
maybe that is part of your job is to like be the one who does the work to try to like make it more palatable or accessible or whatever without losing the message of what you're learning from the people who are doing the speaking, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that brings, I'm glad you just said that because, you know, we as uh, activists, like we get a lot of communication from the leadership of Black Lives Matter about like, you know, when I mentioned the shifting rhetoric, like that is because the the leadership is shifting that rhetoric for, you know, and so we follow. And so I think, um, you know, it's really important for us to listen to what is needed from the leadership and then, you know, apply that. And then it gets kind of, it's a trickle down effect. And I don't want us to like about being polite to, I don't know if I love that word polite, um, because it's kind of like the white politeness that we're, especially in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, but it's more like having a more like, uh, I don't know, like a more understanding conversation or something. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, like the most recent call that we've been hearing a lot here in Minnesota is they want the, they want police officers now to start. They're like, okay, we are white people have talked to the white people, you know, and clearly like these last two shootings have gotten a huge swath of the United States. I mean, I don't know who is actually really defending the police officers right now. It's got to be a pretty small margin compared to previous shootings. Well, or no, do I not after Dallas? I mean, I think, I think think everything up. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, can we compartmentalize though for a second? Like, sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But like, do yep. you not think that like a lot of the country? Yes. I think, you, yeah. You can't really see that stuff or hear about it and be like, well, the cops, I mean, right. They, okay. And then right. Dallas happened. Right. But, and so like they've gotten, unfortunately, I mean, these people have to fucking get murdered for this to happen, but like, you know, the country is behind black lives matter for this, you know, to an extent. Yeah. To, yeah. And so black lives matter is like, is pretty aware of that and is now like, okay, cops, like you need to be calling each other out now. And I don't have any cop friends. Right. So I'm like totally out of this conversation, but that's one way that the rhetoric changes where they like start calling people out. And so if you're listening and you have police officers or law enforcement in your family, right. One thing you can do is talk to them and be like, Hey, do you talk to your fellow law enforcement people about like what's going on and just kind of get that conversation rolling. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I, that's actually, those are the conversations I'm most scared to have. I do, I do have an extended cop family member through marriage and I, I'm not particularly close. I don't, I don't talk to that side of the family very much, but that I, it, that is the scariest, that's the scariest conversation. And I will also just say that another complicated thing about any social movement is that when we say we're listening to the leadership, there is actually a little bit of a division in Black Lives Matter leadership in terms of folks who are 100% committed to nonviolence and um, believe in police reform and those in the movement that believe that, that violence is one tactic of any struggle and that think the police need to be abolished. So I also just want to mm-hmm. point that out as well um, in terms of that's another choice that we have to make as, as accomplices. Like, you know, 
where where we fall in that line and how you know how we feel we can best support you know what we believe in and whatever so um so yeah so that's you know that would be pretty that that could be powerful to have conversations with police but then i think you know other voices that i hear and support are like don't tell the cop to be fucking nicer. Like, tell the cop to, like, walk off the job and never pick up their badge or their gun again because, right. you know. So it's tricky. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the point is, is that going back to our sort of main topic is that that's something that we need to, like, reconcile and work through as, as, as allies, like, how to have those conversations, who, who, who with. What, what do we say, that kind of stuff, and that we have to learn and listen to the voices and work through what voices we are going to, you know, listen to or whatever. So that's, that's that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think just to sort of review, um, and actually, I think I, I think I brought this up like many, many episodes ago, but one of my favorite clips from um, the uh, Malcolm X movie with that Spike Lee directed with Denzel Washington um, is the scene where Malcolm X is walking to give a talk at a college. And there's this white student who like runs up to him and is like, uh, Mr. X, I, you know, I completely support your work. I believe everything you say, you know, I, I'm. I'm sorry that my ancestors did what they did to you, but you know, I, I want to be a part of, of your projects for liberation. So how can I help or what can I do to help? And he just looks at her and he goes, nothing. And he just walks in the door and that's it. And like that, I, that always sticks with me when we feel really powerless as allies. Mm -hmm. And like, there's actually some, some folks like who would say nothing, but I think it's part of it is that she phrased it. Like, what can I do to help? So the first thing yeah, I think yeah. to sort of to review is to say, like, one, make sure that when you're thinking about being an ally or an accomplice that you're not trying to help, quote unquote, help. Two, that when you're trying to stand in solidarity, actual solidarity, be an accomplice to, you know, listen to the voices of the people who are most most victimized by this. In this case, you know, people of color, black people in particular. Um you know, three, put your, make yourself, you know, be uncomfortable, like allow yourself to be uncomfortable in whether that's in a hard conversation or being a marshal at a protest and like actually physically putting your body on the line, going to an organizational meeting that you're scared to go to because you don't know anybody, but you want to be part of the movement and going to a meeting about it. Um, and, you know, and ultimately just remembering, and this is something else we posted on our social media, a quote from Stokely Carmichael that said, you know, so many people are saying, what can we do to help black people? Well, my question is, like, why are you looking at the victim and not looking at the, you know, the cop with the gun and trying to make talk to have, have conversations with them? And basically, so again, have conversations with white people, like start inward, start educating, doing the work of unlearning racism and stuff with white folks. And again, Melody and I are lucky to have that be our like actual profession. Um, in some ways, but find ways that you can do that. Otherwise, you know, um, I love my, my mom is in this really, I mean, she's 
she's in a horribly shitty job um, that puts her in in contact with other people who are in positions where they have to work a horribly shitty job in the service industry. And she has the most diverse group of friends and acquaintances, certainly more diverse than I've ever been, you know, since my childhood really have been in contact with, including a lot of really racist working class white folks. And so she's, she's doing the fucking work on the ground, man. She's having conversations with people who drive to work with Confederate flags on their trucks, you know, uh, you That's know, what so, I'm saying. I, yeah. you know, it's like these people who are like, I don't know what to do. It's like, you work with these people, man. I don't, you know, yeah. like I actually yeah. can't access those people. And my brother, my brother who's on the freeway. Who, that's, you know, he's not an activist. He would not identify as that. He's worked in the service industry a long time. And so mm-hmm. he does more work than I do. I swear. Mm-hmm. Talking yeah. to these people. And like when he worked totally. at Starbucks, when it was like 95% Somali people in there, mm-hmm. you know, he'd have to, the white people would be like, man, it's crazy in here. And my brother would be like, what do you mean? You know, right. and just like, right. be like, I'm not, you know, and, and kind of wake people up. So, yeah, I mean, Really, if you're listening, you're like, I'm not, I don't have a connection. It's like, yeah, you do the people you work with. Right. Right. Oh, I wish I could reach them, but I can't, you know? So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so start wherever, start at your dinner, you know, ruin your fucking dinner party. Yeah. Like start at your family dinner table. Like they're ruining uh, it you though. Don't worry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that's. I think that's what we're we're being asked and called to do, which I say because of all, you know, Melody and I read and listen and talk to people who are in these leadership positions. And um, so that's, that's, as always, where our discussion is coming from, is from a point of listening to the voices of, you know, the people who are experiencing this most um, egregiously. So, yeah, that's our, that's our effort. Any last words? Uh, my last words are if you are an ally or an activist and you feel like you're that you're like continually not doing enough, just know that you're making a difference and you're doing the best you can and um, sit down and really think about what roles you can fulfill as an accomplice and just be happy with just be content with that. You can't do everything. You can't do everything. You're not going to be able to change the world all by yourself. So the small, you know, the small things you do make a huge impact. So don't forget about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with that and I echo that. Um, but also, I think it's also a reminder that, yeah, some of some of your small things are going to make some impacts, but that also, like, again, any, like, social movement that's changed history has been, like, a collective organized action, which is, I'm going to say something because I'm, we're killjoys and I'm just going to yep. fucking say it, but, like, I do not support, nor do I, nor am I celebrating, nor do I think there's anything you know, really good that came out of what happened in Dallas. But I will say that, and but I will say part of that reason, and again, I'm not promoting murdering anyone, but that man acted solo and apparently had like strong um, affinity for groups like the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. And like the difference between what he did and what like the Black Panthers did is that that was just like one one dude trying to, you know, be a vigilante versus like an organized effort. And again, I use that example just to draw that in and this idea of like an individual doing something really dramatic to try to make what mm-hmm. he thought was going to make a difference. 
and just how it didn't make a difference out of the context of a, like a collective organized. And again, I'm not I'm not suggesting that there should have been a, an organized effort to to shoot cops. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying that if we're really passionate about something as an as an individual, like that's not. Um, Part of part of the work of a social movement is to be a part of a collective action. So do what you can as an individual and being content with that, but also know that collective action is also necessary and important. Maybe you have a role in that. Maybe you don't. Does that make sense? Totally. And I think just to riff off the Black Panther thing, it's like the connection there is that the Black Panthers, if you don't know your history, which just read up on them, um, Black Panthers were all about arming themselves and protecting themselves from the police and, you know, open carrying and so he, you know, this guy was obviously um, down with that as well. The Black Panthers, like, did not go around and shoot cops, FYI, you know, right. even though the cops were murdering them in their sleep. Um, but if he would have joined, like, the new Black Panther movement, you know, he could have had a positive impact and they would have, like, kept him from doing that, you know, because everybody has wild, crazy ideas um, and I'm not apologizing for his behavior, but I think being part of a collective kind of keeps those, those ideas and thoughts, you know, contained. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, some of the anarchist shit that I've overheard in my day is just like, y'all are crazy, but because we're meeting, it's like, okay, you're not doing that actually. <laughs> but thanks for bringing that up as an idea. Right. I mean, and, and I will say, you know, slavery got overturned partly through, collective violent action where Harriet Tubman and John Brown like fucking set plantation owners on fire and yeah. like so like that has happened yeah um but but yeah in this context obviously that didn't work so that was I mean maybe that was sort of a weird example for me to throw in in, in this but I, I just sort of wanted to bring that up um in general I guess because I sort of just wanted to talk about um because we talk about the Black Panthers basically every episode. So I wanted yeah. to make sure we did it again now, too. So. <laughs> well, I think, um, it's, I think it's hard, too. Like, <sighs> talking about Dallas is very tricky because yeah. we are not Blue Lives Matter people, you know? Um, right. But the cops that died were not the ones that killed these black people, right? Um, we don't know anything about who these cops were that died. Um, but, and neither did the guy. I mean, he was just... Right picking out white people, which I, but at the same time, like, I think what Rachel and I are, are kind of muddling with here is that like, we understand his anger and we get why somebody would feel like that's where they're at their breaking point, you know, black people. I mean, like the things that I witnessed in Minnesota, like people just getting on the mic, they're like, I mean, people are just fucking at their wits end. They're losing their minds. And like, it makes total sense. I mean, you, I don't even know, you walk out of your door and you could die Every yeah. single day because you're black. That is fucked up and so crazy how you would not go mentally insane living in a country in which that is your fate. Um, I, you yeah. know, so, but at the same time, you know, we live in a society in which cops are king and you cannot, um, it's very hard to, you cannot support what this guy did. Right. Right. Um, but we understand his anger and pain. Also the fact that it's been very hard to watch black lives matter, just as Muslims have to do this every time there's a terrorist attack to say, Oh, we condemn the killing of these cops when right. police, the police unions do not come out and say, we condemn the killing right. of this black man. We're sorry on behalf of right. 
they never do that. So it's like, it's just been kind of like an icky situation to watch. It's like, no, of course we can't say way to go. Thanks cop killer. You did what, you know, all of us wanted to have happen. You know, you can't, nobody's saying that. Um, but what is tricky is like apologizing when the cops aren't apologizing for the, it's not, it's not, uh, an equal street in that way. Right. That doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And just this whole definition, you know, what we, what we define as violence. And again, like I, I want the police to be abolished, but I don't, that doesn't mean I want individual cops to die. It means I just want them to be disarmed and I don't want the police to exist anymore. Um, so, so like, yeah, I totally, I'm actually not, I'm not pro cop. I'm just not. Um, that doesn't mean I think cop as cops as humans are bad people. Like I'm sure there's plenty of excellent human beings out there. Um, so yeah, so that's one thing, but, um, but this, so I'm jumping around a little bit, but I know we're going to wrap up soon. But the other thing is just this idea of violence and like, yeah, obviously that was a super, he like literally was a sniper who was trained by the U S military, by the way, like where did he fucking learn that violence from the fucking U S military? So there's that. Um, but you know, obviously that was very violent. He like murdered people like that is violent. Um, and not, but so too, not only is when cops murder people also violent, but so too is everyday life for black people in this country, whether it's like being, you know, completely disenfranchised in a way where like they don't have nutritious food every day and they're fucking like sick because they don't have access to the same resources that other people do. Or, you know, and this goes for, you know, poor folks too. Like this is just the way that violence impact. We don't think about not having access to good schools as violent. We don't think about not having heat in your home because you can't afford the bills as violence. We don't think about, you know, all of these different ways that capitalism and white supremacy creates violence on a fucking daily basis. We don't call that violence because it's not like a sensationalized shootout. But that shit is violent. Like, like our system violences human beings every single fucking day and then and that's why the black panthers called themselves the black panther party of self-defense because it was like we're being violenced every fucking day so when we fucking carry around a gun it's because we are already we're already on the defensive like we're not being offensive like this is not the offense we're the defense because you guys are already fucking killing us in various ways you know yeah so um since I have the mic, can I just make one announcement? Please. Live uh, announcement. If you are listening and you want to make some, um, do you want to make a monetary donation to, um, I know of some GoFundMe pages that I can hook up on our website. If you want to donate to um, Diamond Reynolds, the girlfriend, fiance of, of Philando who was murdered. And then also there is another GoFundMe for Philando's family. So I guess you could, I don't know, you can choose, but... Um, the fiance and the young daughter as well. Um, and then also people got arrested, um, both on the freeway and, um, on the streets last night of St. Paul. And so people are still in jail for that. And so there was just a call. Um, if you want to donate to the jail fund, you can email, um, or give a PayPal donation with, uh, the email address, black lives matter, MPLS 2016 at Gmail. Dot com and I'll put all that stuff up on the website. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. Live late breaking news for you. Yes. So <laughs> if you do want to be the white person that sends money, which is appreciated, 
I'll have yep. some spaces for you to do that. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll put that up and we'll also put a bunch of other good resources of um, s some of the same things we've been discussing um, about what to do and not to do and things like that. Whew, that's a, I feel, I feel nervous about this episode. We just said. Why? Because of... we talked about killer cops, cop killers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but that's what we're doing. Speaking truth to power. It's feminist so... killjoys and it's independent media. You can't censor us. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, <laughs> let's start to wrap up, um, on a lighter note. Uh, Feminist what do you want to do? Are... I think the feminist media pick of the week. I I like yours. The Black Lives Matter, yeah, founders, the women, women, yeah. black women who started the hashtag Black Lives. I mean, they did more than start this freaking hashtag, but I mean, right? Yeah, it helped a lot with organizing. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so we're, so we'll yeah instead of RWL, we'll do feminist media pick of the month. And yeah, I thought the not it, this is still not widely known that Black Lives Matter as a movement really is credited um, to three black queer women and they started the hashtag and have also been, you know, instrumentally important to the way this movement has, has progressed. And the, again, the shift in helping shape the rhetoric and um, but really that it, that it's, and a lot of that organizing has happened on social media. So that's sort of the media connection. Yeah. Right. Um, but just that they're really, they're really thoughtful, intersectional, um, women and Alicia Garza is sort of most commonly interviewed. And there was a recent interview that she put out, um, or that she gave, uh, to truth dig that I'll post on the website that just had some, had some really good stuff in it. Um, some just good reminders of, of what this movement is all about. And um, so just wanted to celebrate those ladies because although, um, you know, black men are often the focus of these murders because they are disproportionately murdered, that black women are, you know, are dying um, as well at the hands of cops. And um, another trans woman of color, trans black woman was murdered this past week that, you know, didn't make any news, um, not by a cop, but um, certainly there are cases of, of that and or abuse by by cops towards trans women too so um so shout out to those those ladies um let's not forget to remember to you know say his name but say her name too um and uh just i mean just just i guess celebrate the the power of, of these women who have started so important are you Pokemoning again? <laughs> no. What is it? It's uh, Nico Atsume. Oh, oh, that's I do your not. Pl I, I do not play with my phone when I'm on the um, <laughs> the podcast. It just it just alerted you. Maybe, although maybe I did push it on accident. <laughs> I don't check on my cats when we're podcasting. Okay, God, <laughs> don't accuse me of such things. All right. Anyway, anything else? Nope. Okay. All WTF. Right. Power. Bye. Bye. Come on, come on. I see no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself. It's like worth living. Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being born. Even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Cops give a damn about a Negro. Pull a trigger, kill a nigga. He's a hero. 
can you double take the brother if he's close to me? Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids, but things change. That's the way it is. Come on, come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. All I see is racist faces Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist We under, I wonder what it takes to make this One better place, let's erase the waste Take the evil out the people, they'll be acting right Cause both black and white, and smoke a crack tonight And the only time we chill is when we kill each other It takes skill to be real time to heal each other And although it seems evident, we ain't ready To see a black president uh, It ain't a secret or concealed a fact A penitentiary's packed and it's filled with blacks but some things will never change Try to show another way But you're staying in the dope game Now tell me what's a mother to do Being real don't appeal to the brother in you You gotta operate the easy way I made a G today But you made it in a sleazy way Sell a crack to the key I gotta get paid But hey, well that's the way it is Come on, come on That's just the way it is Things will never be the same That's just the way it is That's just the way it is. 